I am Latoya Benton. Gave the flu of my son. He was murdered by these people on January the 9th, 2021. All bird. He was murdered by DC Metropolitan Police in their custody. He died in their custody. And they claim that they don't know what happened. They had they had no business arresting him. This is Life After the Impact, a podcast for impacted families by impacted families that focuses on what happens after the media, the lawyers, and the activists are gone. Impacted families are left to face the loss of a loved one who police sponsored violence. We will focus on their continued fight for justice and how you can get involved. Give me the one that just walks away. Bunch of police take another life today. Leave a loved one's torn that I left to say. Candles burning. All we do is pray. Yeah. This is a collection of videos showing Bay Area Transit Police responding to a disturbance on a train platform in Oakland. Police are struggling with a man, one of the suspects in the the train disturbance. And you'll see an officer in the background reaching for what appears to be something on his belt as his partner helps restrain him from the front. Uh, As you can see, a number of people in the station are confused and screaming. The officer then pulls out a weapon and shoots. Hmm. He later tells his lawyer that he was reaching for a taser and mistakenly pulled his service revolver, shooting the man in the back. Good evening, family. My name is Roxanne Johnson. My son, Jamal Bird, was killed by D.C. Metropolitan Police October 1st, 2019. I'm here with my co-host this evening. Good evening, you guys. My name is Latoya Benson. I am the mother of Xavier Hill. Xavier was killed by Virginia State Police at the age of 18 in Grishon County, January the 9th, 2021. We are honored today to be joined by Uncle Bobby. Uncle Bobby, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Okay, I'm on now. Yes, I am affectionately known to the community as Uncle Bobby. I'm the uncle of Oscar Grant. Um, uh, as many of you may know, and some that don't, he was killed on January 1st, 2009 in Oakland, California at the Fruitvale Bark Station. And to not really get into the details of it yet, but to just um, highlight, uh, if you've seen the movie Fruitvale Station, that was a movie that depicted what happened, not so much to what happened to Oscar on the platform, but who Oscar was as a person uh, to us as a family, uh, he could have been your nephew, you know, your brother, your friend, your cousin, someone related to you. Uh, but then also that tragedy happened, as we know, on the Fruitvale Park Station. 
So um, if, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about um, how that's impacted your family and more importantly, what kinds of things, what kind of actions that your family has been involved in as we're, you know, action-oriented um, podcast and we like to talk about what, what we're doing, you know, um, after these tragedies that happen. A lot of times, um, you know, after the cameras are gone, it's like uh, uh, people are left to uh, to their own, um, you know, whatever, right? Right. Well, I, I, let me just give a backdrop. So, uh, you know, and I'll do this as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So, on, of course, on January 1st, well, it was New Year's Eve. Oscar and his friends went to San Francisco to see the fireworks uh, by instruction of his mother, because he had told her, his mother, Wanda, my sister, that he was going to see the fireworks and he was going to drive. And she asked him to catch Bart. And he did. Him and all his friends caught Bart, went to see the fireworks on their way back. Uh, a white commuter made a call that there was a Latino black gang fight that was going on, which really didn't happen. It was Oscar and an old friend of his had a small scuffle on the train, but no blows were thrown, nothing in a way that would have called for that commuter, this white commuter to call and say that there was a gang fight. But in essence, they stopped the train at the Fruitville Bark Station. Um, Oscar and his friends got off the train. The white police officer, Tony Peroni, saw five, what he what he stated, black guys standing down talking with hoods on. He asked them all to get to the to the wall because he wanted to investigate if there had been a fight. And they told him that there was no fight, you know, nobody was injured or what have you. But anyhow, uh, the video, the actual video will show that, um, of course, Tony Peroni eventually um, first called Oscar a bitch ass nigger. I'm sorry for the language oh, that, yeah. but yeah, but uh, he used racial epithets and called him those names three oh. times. Uh, of course, he was then thrown to the floor. Join his measure, he's six, seven, and 270 pounds. Tony Peroni is six, five, uh, 250 pounds. Oscar's five, 10, 160 pounds, if that. Anyway, he had 600 pounds of officer on his back. Uh, Tony Peroni had his knee on his neck. That same knee that was on George Floyd's neck was on Oscar's neck in 2009. Oscar was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Tony Peroni also put his hands on his face, you can see in the video, and was holding his face down on the concrete, putting all his weight on it, cracking the bones in Oscar's face while he was choking him out with the knee. Of course, um, uh, Mesley then, as Oscar crisscrossed his hands behind his back to be handcuffed, Mesley stands up, pulls out his weapon, shoots Oscar, Cinemas in the back, the bullet goes through his body, bounces off the concrete, comes back up, hit him in the chest, of course, penetrates his chest, collapses his lung, and then, of course, Oscar dies. You know, um, there was no reason for Johannes Messenger to use his, his uh, weapon or his taser. And this idea that there was weapon confusion, that uh, he meant to use his taser, Oscar's very last picture showed Tony uh, um, Johannes Messenger with the taser in his hand. Not only that, he had pulled his taser out three times. So it's clear that he knew where his taser was at before he pulled out his weapon. But he also alleged that he thought Oscar had a gun. When Oscar was on his arms, he thought Oscar, he said, was going in his pocket to pull out a gun. So he stood up in regards to claiming that he meant to use his taser, but used his gun. But we know common sense officers don't use a taser when they think someone has a gun. 
It doesn't make sense. But anyway, they bought it, of course. Um, the community was outraged and it was the embrace of the community of us that, uh, you know, the community stood with us, cried with us, went back and forth to court with us, prayed with us, but most importantly, shouted out, I am Oscar Grant. And it was because of that, we got for the first time in California state history, an officer arrested, charged, convicted, and sent to jail. Mm -hmm. He only spent 11 months. So I need to say that, you know, we didn't make history. We, uh, we made history, but it wasn't so much a victory, right? right. We got out right. in 11 months. But what's important is that from all that pain and from the community embrace, we knew that there had to be some changes made. And I didn't say this in the beginning, but prior to Oscar being murdered, he had came to me in my spirit. And I was so troubled with it, troubled in the sense that why is Oscar talking to me now? You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. So I texted him and I said, Uncle Love, you God love you, God loves his family. Hour and a half later, he was murdered. So mm. when I saw that video, I can remember collapsing, I actually passed out. When I came back around, I was so angry. And then this common spirit hit me and how I remembered that I was able to text Oscar and tell him that I love him. And then I knew from there that it wasn't about destruction, it was about construction. Uh -huh. And it was that campaign that I went on to make sure that another family didn't have to experience this egregious act of police violence. And so I made it a point in my life the rest of my life to make sure that I can do all that I can to make sure that families don't have to suffer this type of pain that we went through. And, but more importantly, that our babies and our grandbabies and our great grandbabies have a right to life. Because if I fail to stand today, it'll be their demise tomorrow. And so on my watch, I'm gonna make sure that I do all that I can to make sure that they have a true right to life in their black skin or brown skins, but they have a right to life. Right. This quest that I went on, is, is it okay to talk about what I've done now? Yeah, that, that, well, Uncle Bobby, that's what we're about. We're about that action. So we want to know what you're doing currently right now. Okay, yeah. so here we go. So, of course, um, at, at that time, we pushed for an oversight committee with an independent auditor, which we were successful in getting. Uh, that was AB 1586. Now, I'm about to go fast. Now, as you're doing this too, I want you to um, talk about how, talk, tell us what the bills are, right? But it's important to many people to understand how did you do that? What right. did you do? Right. So let's just say if any family that experienced this egregious act, right? And we'll just say it happened to be an agency that doesn't have any oversight committee, a, a, a body of folks that can oversight some of the police actions, right? These citizen oversights in some ways, you know, there's different models and some work and some don't work. You know, the ultimate essence is that it's better to have something than nothing. So if, if, if your loved one was killed in a city that doesn't have citizen oversight with the independent auditor, then you need to make that argument that I hope and request by going to your city council meetings, making the argument and, and, and plead that you believe that the agency can do better with some citizen oversight, some kind of body that can oversight the work that the police do. And as you pursue that, there's various models. So you wanna make sure that you also uh, take a look at all the different model types. There's no, some- no, Let me ask a quick question about that. So that's concerned, no. 
I know, yeah. like, in our state, particularly in Virginia, right, um, they passed a law um, recently where the localities, localities, they can have an oversight group. But when it comes to the state police, that's not there. What would you say would be a method or a way to move forward as far as the state police is concerned? Well, I mean, let's say that um, we know that the number of folks being killed by the state police is 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 high, right? Yeah. But there's no data on it, but you just know it because you hear it so often. So now you want to make, you know, find a legislator to make this this plea to to help you champion or sponsor a bill centered around the state police data collection. Something that helps you get the data where you can better make your argument that the state police is egregiously at a high number killing people of color. You know, mm-hmm. because we can say it over and over and over, but without the data behind, it doesn't give the legislators um, or even the community, right, the idea that this is that egregious, right? But we that have suffered this impact, we feel it and see it and hear it every day. And so we know how egregious it is, but all we need is now to show through data that is truly happening. So if you find a legislator that's that's willing to champion a bill centered around data collection so that you can get the numbers and that happens, those numbers then make a stronger argument for the next piece of legislation that you're gonna argue for. And so I'm gonna just kind of step through what we've done. After the data collection came through AB 71, which is a use of force data collection, you can go to the California DOJ site Google use of force data collection, California, and it'll bring up a site and it'll tell you how many people are being killed every single year in the state of California, whether it's by gunshot, whether it's by baton beating, dog bite, vehicle, hand to hand, whatever you want to name, all Mm -hmm. that data is there. And we know for a fact, based on the data, that 175 to 225 Californians killed every single year by the police. Wow. So now we know the numbers. So we wanted to know about how and why these folks are being killed. And Mm -hmm. so we championed a bill called the Racial Identification Profiling Act because we know police go on a pretext and profile people of color and stop them for a bad taillight and sadly, some of them died, like Dante Wright, right? Instant in this window, as we know, was killed. And there's just mm-hmm. so many others, especially in the state of California. So this excuse to stop us, and there's no data to show that they're choosing Black folks, Black drivers or brown drivers on a regular basis that are being stopped and harassed, and some are even being killed, uh, makes our argument even harder. So of course, with that passing of the Racial Identification Profiling Act, which was AB 953, that now gave us the demographics of who was being stopped and why they were being stopped, and most importantly, whether they survived that stop. And Mm -hmm. we saw in our data up to 20, 28% that are stopped are being killed Mm -hmm. because of these stops. These Mm -hmm. are the low level stops we're talking about, instant in your window, you know. Uh, uh, a young man got a bad tail light, you know, confrontation takes place and then he dies. 
you know, and so now we have the data for that. But California so we start to finish with that bill, from start with that bill to we have got it passed. How long did it take? Uh, the racial identification profiling lag took one year. Okay. Uh, AB 71, which is the, the data collection, took one year. Uh, SB 1421, the next one I'm going to, which is now giving us the right to be able to go into the officer's personal record to see their conduct or how they're working, whether their complaints filed against them, we'll just say, in our case, we made this specific to if they were involved in the shooting, whether they killed or not, we can open up their file. Uh, if they falsified a police investigative report and it was found out, we can open up their file. If they're involved in some sexual act, right, um, we can open up their file. And therefore, that gives us the information on what kind of officer this is. Give an example. Johannes Mersley, before he killed Oscar, had eight complaints filed against him and nobody took action. That's crazy. And then Oscar's murder. And now he had been on the force only in two, been on the force two years, already had eight complaints filed against him for use of force. Mm -hmm. Same thing that he killed Oscar about. Mm -hmm. And there was no action ever taken no reprimand, no nothing given, and then he kills Oscar. Mm -hmm. So with that, with giving us the ability to be able to open their files, we can be now more proactive and take a look at if this a troubled officer and if there's anything we can do to stop him before he kills someone. Mm -hmm. So that's what uh, SB 1421 was about. And that took two years to pass because the first year we couldn't get it passed, but you don't stop. You keep on going. You keep going, you keep going. Keep going. We got that passed. Then we turned around and uh, right after uh, AB 748, which is the video audio release in 45 days, because as we know, most of us that uh, get killed, if there's some video recording, especially if before the lapel cameras came into existence, mm -hmm. they never wanted to show you the video because they're putting their act together to make sure they clean up everything. Uh -huh. So we made the argument that these videos got to be released to the family within 45 days. And of course, we was able to pass that. There are still struggles in many ways. Even though we get bills passed, don't mean it, that it just works perfectly, right? So follow-up is you still have to do to enforce this legislation that is now law, right? So, but 748 is the video auto-release in 45 days. Uh, then we came back in 2019, which was really significant. And one of the most important bills and legislation that we could have ever pass was AB 392, which is called the Stephon Clark Law. And that is a use of force law where we were able to take the reasonable, what a reasonable officer would have done under the same circumstances to changing that reasonable to necessary, thereby making it a requirement that they follow a certain pendulum to justify the homicide if they end up killing someone, right? There are certain steps you have to take. And because of that law, remember back in 2009, we're not in 2019, but back in 2009, 10 years before, Oscar was the first person in the state of California that was able to get an officer arrested, charged, convicted, and sent to jail. Now we hadn't had no convictions for that 10 year time period until SB 392 was passed. And we finally got 
one officer, he just got seven years because oh. he failed to follow what a what a uh, what the necessary steps prior to using his force. We have, of course, um, I forget the officer name that killed Stephen Taylor and mm -hmm. Walmart. Uh, he's getting ready to go to trial. And then there's another officer in San Diego that's getting ready to go to trial for the killings. And these officers both have been charged because they failed to follow the law based on necessary standard rather than what a reasonable officer would have done under the same circumstances. So, so what would you say for a family, for an impacted family, clearly um, Oscar being your nephew, and once this happened to your family, you guys went as far as um, being legislative part. Um, I heard you say get a congressman or a delegate who is going to back the bills. Would that be step number one? Yeah, you got to find legislators that are are pained by this act of egregious police killings. Um, and as you meet this legislator or identify these legislators, they already in their own mind is cooking up bills to right. pass. But you know, you want to be supportive of that bill. You could come on if you have an organization as a co-sponsor, or you can be a member of uh, uh, giving testimony to what happened to your loved one, helping the committees that has got to go through to get it passed. Uh, but most importantly, you have to have a legislator that is writing these bills. And then you have to make sure that they don't just pass a watered down bill. That's right. Sometimes we don't allow our bills to pass because the legislators is pulling out all the teeth because they want it to pass. That's what happened with the George Floyd bill. Right, right, exactly. You know, you got a gumless, a teethless bill passed, mm -hmm. but yet, is not doing what we hope it would do. You know, right. and, and it's a lot of work to get these bill passed. And then for uh, sadly, for a legislator to want to get it passed says, well, we need to pull this out in order to get it passed. And that's the, you know, whatever this choice is to pull out something could be the main reason why the bill should be in existence, right? So, so outside of getting a legislator, how do you, how do you get the bill passed though? Like I know it has to go through like General Assembly and all that and they gotta push it through. What can the community do to help to ensure these bills are getting passed and not getting watered down? Uh, major support from the community. So like what we do, for example, the bill I'm working on now is uh, 742 is a canine bill because the California Police Department wants to bring the canine back in to have this own little force so these dogs can have the ability to bite us, right? To make an arrest. Matter of fact, to use use of force on you through the dog bites, rather than them just beating you down, they'll put these dogs on you now. But there's, you know, and, and just kind of going through a backdrop, there's a, there's a history within our DNA concerning these dogs running us down. Absolutely. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And so- From the enslavement period. Exactly. You know, yeah. and so we we're arguing that this canine force don't need to be in existence. These dogs bites uh, don't need to happen. You know, and we don't want them to have free reign with these dogs, these canine dogs, to be able to just chase you down and just eat you alive or bite and put holes all in you. Right. Because mm -hmm. these dog bites are pretty severe. Yeah. Um, so as we are attempting to pass this piece of legislation, it requires myself to get supporters right 
other coalitions throughout the state of California, making mm -hmm. them aware that this bill, we need their support. We right. want to uh, send in a support letter. So there's a template created <laughs> in their support. And then if we have a lobby day that they come with us to the state capitol, right. right? We meet various legislators and we talk about these bills. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, oh, I, I should say this, in getting a legislator to hopefully champion a bill is always good what we found for four or five families or eight or nine families to meet with this legislator to tell their story. And mm -hmm. if the legislator can feel you, you will see tears actually fall mm -hmm. because of the pain in the room in this quiet meeting that she has with these impacted families and making her decision or his decision of whether they're gonna champion this bill. Mm -hmm. But once those tears fall, then we know that there's a possibility that this could be the legislator that we need in hopes to get this bill passed. Mm -hmm. And so what we've learned, the hearts begin to soften, the ears begin to open, and the real concern about the pain that we have experienced, this person now has the empathy and the feelings that there has to be something she could do because that's what we elected her for. I say right. her or he, right? We elected these uh, elected uh, officials, elected officials to represent us and what is dear to us or our concerns. And you move them on that, right? Uh, and so when we saw that in the earlier days, that was power. And it's, especially when George Floyd was murdered, even more legislators came out wanting to champion various bills. So all across the country, I'm sure even in many states, uh, states that impacted families are in, laws were passed to deal with this idea of the knee on the neck, right? Or the fixation part where you're getting choked out. Mm -hmm. so those legislators took it upon themselves because they were so pained at what they witnessed. But mm -hmm. there are some legislators that when they hear your story, you know, not just yours, but two or three other, four other, five other family story, they really begin to feel the impact of what it's doing to the community, especially people of color. Mm -hmm. And then they really put it on their heart to make sure that they think about their children and their babies and move forward on making sure they pass a law that has some teeth, right? That can not only help you and the families that's been already impacted, but to prevent families from coming behind you that have to suffer the same pain but then even more importantly, as Dr. Weber used to tell us, who uh, championed our bills, was that she looked at her grandbabies and just thought about what they might experience if she didn't do something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's why she wants it. And she got AB 392 passed for us. She mm -hmm. championed that bill. And it didn't just happen the first year. It took us two years to get that bill passed. That so you have to find the right person to help back the bill. Right. That's you know, the main thing, right? It's fine. It's going to back the bill, right? Right. Yeah. And it requires time on your part, too, because you have coalition meetings. You have bill meetings, right? Yeah. We have bill meetings once a week, every Monday. Yeah. So I have to give up an hour to two hours discussing on how and what we need to do to get that bill passed. Kind of strategize. Exactly. That's what it's all about, getting bills passed. You know, yeah. what legislators you need to get to to get them to vote yes. 
You know, do you have a plan? You know, you have a day that you meet with these legislators, you tell them about the bill, you get them convinced enough to say yes when it goes before committee that they have to vote on these bills because it's all about getting a, all of them, or at least the majority of them, to vote yes for your bill to keep it going forward. And then, yeah. of course, finally it gets to the governor's desk and eventually at the governor's desk. Um, Right. And prior to even get to the governor's desk, you're arranging meetings with the governor to have a conversation with him or her concerning your bill. You know, yeah. I stopped at 392, but there were many others like 490, the chokehold bill we got passed in 2020. Uh, we also got the lifeline bill 988 passed. I think it's a matter of, you know, people are going to hear you guys got the bills passed. But like I said, you know, it's a matter of because when people don't have any, any way of um, knowing where to start, you know, I think Roxanne, you're going to say something too. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it sounds like, I mean, I, I I counted at least five pieces of legislation that you talked about that was able to get passed. And it sounded like you had a, a huge, a huge coalition. I'm wondering, was it huge? Was it a small coalition of just um, people just um, bearing down and, and doing all the strategizing and, and getting the, the right legislators involved? And if they're not there, then we need to vote the right legislators into office and get rid of the ones that aren't. On our uh, in favor of us, right? And, and the other thing that came to my mind was that you know California tends to be more of a progressive state, right? Um, and we know we know there's injustice there as well, but there are other states that are are not as progressive, you know. Right. And so the coalition building becomes even more important there. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. If if I can elaborate on that, so. Mm -hmm. uh, you may find a legislator that feels your pain, that want to champion the bill. Uh, but if they don't have the support to get it passed, they ain't going nowhere. It's not going nowhere. So, you know, we're blessed to be in the state of California, especially in the Bay Area. You know, the birth of the Black Panthers, you know, uh, many movements, as you know, developed right here in the Bay Area where we at. So it's just born in the people in the Bay Area. So you got organizations and coalitions that are throughout the state of California that are, are working on various bills, uh, speaking out to these issues and got various legislators that are supporting. But what we always do too, is we share that information among each other. So if we have a lobby day, right? There's a coordination that takes place in these various orgs, orgs that's throughout the state of California to come to the state capitol. So now I'm gonna cite this example. I'm part of the Live Free Coalition group. This is 30 plus black led organizations in the state of California. That's our coalition group. There is through two other pockets of coalition groups that are about the same number, about 20 to 30 down the South or down in the Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. And then there's another group that's more central California that got about 20 or 30 Black-led organizations. So we network among each other. And we also, if we're talking about legislation, we are sharing that information with these other coalition groups to inform them if we're gonna have a lobby day mm -hmm. so that we can not only bring the 30-led Black organizations that I'm a part of, but we got another 60 of um, that's in our network that can come 
And then there's others outside of our network that are interested in the same bill that will show up. So we have pockets of coalitions and that's what's really important, you know, because we can't, you know, there's no way in the world Love Not Blood campaign or Families United for Justice could do, them by, do this by themselves. You have to have a network of organizations that are connected to their own personal coalitions mm -hmm. and then bring them all together. Mm -hmm. Now you got a base of easy 500 to 1,000 people at the state capitol mm -hmm. or even more. I mean, there's times it's more, there's times it's less, but the more, the better, because especially when it comes to um, uh, taking a vote on a bill mm -hmm. and they asking for the community support or organizations, whether it be a, a Zoom link or you go in person, when you have two and 300 and 400 people saying uh, uh, your name and you support this bill and it goes on for a couple of hours because there's so many people, the mm -hmm. legislators hear that and they see that. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't know if you know, but when Oscar was murdered, when we went to the state capitol, it was two to 300 police officers and maybe mm -hmm. 20 to 30 to 40 community members. Mm -hmm. That number has switched. The policing they don't come near as strong as they used to, like two and three hundred. If they do, we got two or three thousand. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't flip the scale. Before there was nothing you can ever say because it was so many of them. They would vote no to a particular bill you're trying to get passed, and they was winning all the time. <laughs> and, and, and I would just say also too, you know, because sometimes when we say coalition building, people get a little intimidated by the idea. Well, we all belong to other organizations, whether it be church organizations, synagogue organizations, sororities, fraternities, right. you know, we, uh, Girl Scouts, Boys, whatever. We all belong to other organizations that can be quickly um, uh, put into a coalition uh, for social, maybe have a social justice right. in them, and then they can be used because y'all, there is power when we speak in one voice, saying the same thing, they cannot not listen to us. I, you know, so so when we say coalition building, do not get intimidated by that, right? Your right, friend exactly. that you go and um, you know, go on trips with, that could be a coalition, yes. right? Be a group right. of any people, you know, your family reunion, that can be a coalition. Get everybody right. part of your family union to be a coalition. So you gotta have the right conversations. Right conversation, having bringing an education and bringing a strategy, like the brother is saying, so that we can get some stuff done, and we now, can get some stuff done. Yeah, uh, and, and I'll say this too: uh, we've learned a lot from the ACLU. Uh -huh. uh, you know, California ACLU. We got, of course, three parts of the ACLU. We got Northern California, Southern California, Central California. Me being in Northern California, if I work with the Northern California group as well as Southern California group as well as Central. But what's important is that when we didn't understand this process, we learned from them. They set up the meetings, we showed up, we listened. Uh, of course, they did all the media blasts or whatever was needed, they did everything. So there's a process that we learned from them and how this whole process worked. And wow. so now we can support bills as co-sponsors 
Uh, and it don't have to be the ACLU there, but there was a time period where they were the central aspect of us learning how to get this process to work. Uncle Bobby, how could uh, you all possibly share information so that even if people, um, it might not work the exact same way in other states, how would you all share information so people can maybe mock that and their states begin on the same thing? So how could we share that information? Yeah, so, like as far as like, the steps are concerned and how they can start an either build a coalition to all those things. Right. I think, uh, I guess one of the things I can do, right, is uh, maybe send out a link to some of the coalition building meetings that we have, right? For instance, um, you know, our co-sponsor meetings, some of them are open and some are not. But we'll just say our 742, the one that I'm working on now, uh, I'll consult with the co-sponsors uh, before I just put it out there. But maybe I can invite, uh, you know, yourself or someone to listen in and just hear how, um, the legislators that we're working with in this bill uh, and how we strategically are moving forward in getting it passed. So it's kind of like sitting in and listening to the conversation. Uh, but prior to that, or next year maybe, when various legislators are coming up with the idea of passing bills and you hear about one that is similar to what you would like to see passed, you reach out to that legislator, let them know you're interested in being a part of the process of getting that bill passed. You want to be supportive. Matter of fact, it could be a bill about a chokehold, right? And your loved one could have been choked to death. There's no better person that can give testimony to the pain of your loved one being choked to death. Yourself. And, you know, then yourself, exactly. And so you could be the person that that legislator can use to help testify at the hearings concerning the bill. So you have a voice in it. And as you- Now on this website right here, on the website we're showing um, you all's website, is the information on there as far as the bill you sponsor, stuff like that, is that stuff on that website? Uh, we got something on there, yes. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, and y'all all can see as well, um, y'all all know the podcast about action. Um, if so, yeah, if you go on that links and see up there, seven a call to action. There are links up here about the work. Keep in mind, this is the uncle of Oscar Grant. Um, when you go to the website as well, it shows you the ways you can support and also support the fight. Um, you guys, real fast before we wrap this up, we have a new thing speaking of call actions. Um, we're building a another kind of database, which is going to be a daily call of action, right? Oh, we get call of action. If you all know different um, DAs we need to call, different court cases that are pending, we can add to this spreadsheet. Please feel free to inbox myself, inbox Roxanne, um, the inbox Sophie with the call of action so we can add it to the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet we made user-friendly, meaning that the links that are on there, you can just click on the link itself and it will go directly to the site for the call of action. Oh, this is perfect. Cause you know, we have, uh, sadly, we're in this battle because our wife's sister, uh, Dorothy Jean Dale Chambers was murdered. And the mm -hmm. police has been protecting 
she died of the Oklahoma side. I mean, was it the car accident? Am I right? Yes. And so um, when we had folks call in from all over the country, we was able to stop them from just giving them a misdemeanor. But now he's been arraigned to be in court on April the 26th, next week. And um, we're going to send out a call to action to call the district attorney to make sure that he is charged okay. for the murder of two people. Mm. You hear what I'm saying? He murdered two people. And initially they were trying to just give him a simple misdemeanor and let him go home because he figured that they figured that these were throwaways, you know. A, nobody cared about them. Nobody cared about them. But we yeah. can't. So I, I think find a pressure. Yeah. Yeah. We need this call to action. So uh, give us the information and we'll add it to our call to action list too. I will definitely do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's gonna be on our wet on the um Facebook page. You can just go on there, like uh, Latoya just said, and you can click on, and it'll take you right to the phone number or the email for the um, DOJ. Y'all, right. we can do this. We can do this. And if we all yeah. can, swim, it's like rocks on a, on on water, water on rocks, right? Mm-hmm. It is going to penetrate. We got to be steady. We just got to be consistent. Yes. Consistent. We're trying, to find, we're trying to innovate and be creative about different ways that we can show up yes. show for one another. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you for inviting me to share, you know, um, life after the impact. Uh, it's been a journey. You know, it's been a 14 year journey for us. And Ooh. we do whatever we can to help uh, a family not have to suffer the pain. And as you shared the website, especially that first page, you see all the conferences we have done for families that's been impacted. We, uh, our, our ultimate thing behind the conferences is that we want a family member that's been impacted to be able to come without the stress of worrying about how to get there. We pay for their airfare, uh, their hotel stay, all food and accommodations, and to get there and just to be loved on, yeah. uh, to network to meet others, because you're not alone. This is an egregious act that's happening all across the United States and there are just so many families that's being impacted. I wish we could help every single family. Of course, we can't do that because there's just so many, but those that we can reach out and touch, we love to bring together to just love on each other, to create new relationships. Because what I found, what we've found is that we heal each other. You know, I'm a little further down the line, 14 years. I've been through all the stages, you know, but tomorrow I may meet a, another young man that I lost his son that's at stage one and want to destroy the world. And mm-hmm. so some kind of way I can love on him, help him get through that stage one to stage two, you know, uh, wonder what he could have done to have prevented it, you know, just kind of help him get through those stages. And that's what we do today is that we allow ourselves to help each other get past those stages so that they can get to a point to where now they can articulate their loved one's story. Again, to move forward mm-hmm. to get bills passed, get a bill passed in their loved one name. You know, mm-hmm. but most importantly, we're doing this so that another family don't have to suffer this egregious right. act. Wow. Welcome, Bobby. You have been great tonight. We've been, it's great right. having you on tonight as well. Um, any information that you can share with us, so we can share with the families as well, as far as just how to get bills passed, even just how not necessarily getting passed, but 
how did this get started? You know, how did it start? The podcast is about action, is about sharing. So we thank you for coming on tonight. Oh, thank you for having me too. Yes, yes, thank you. Phenomenal work. Phenomenal work. Phenomenal work, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Justice thank for Oscar Grant, y'all say his name. Justice for Oscar, Oscar Grant. Grant. Say his name. Yeah. Until next time, this has been uh, Life After the Impact, Fighting for Justice. I am LaToya Benton. Xavier killed my son. He was murdered by the state police on January the 9th, 2021. He was murdered by D.C. Metropolitan the police in their custody. He died in their custody. And they claim that they don't know what happened. They had they had no business arresting him. This is Life After the Impact, a podcast for impacted families, by impacted families, that focuses on what happens after the media, the lawyers, and the activists are gone. Impacted families are left to face uh, the loss of a loved one that police respond to violence. We will focus on their continued fight for justice and how you can get involved. Give me the one that just walks away. Bunch of police take another life today. Leaving loved ones torn to left to say candles burning. All we do is pray. Yeah. Latoya. Yeah. No, 